I couldn't build a mansion off of my first attempt. You know, I had to try building my little hut and seeing how it went. That, my friends, is the battle cry of a brick stacker, building a little hut before you move on to build the mansion. That's how we do things here on Stacking the Bricks. My name's Alex Hillman. I'm your co-host for Stacking the Bricks. And the person you just heard from, and who you're going to hear from in the rest of this episode, his name is Jim Gay. Now, do you remember the approach to tidying that Amy and I talked about back in episodes 6 and 7? Well, if you didn't listen, or maybe you need a little bit of a refresher... The idea was to really just let go of things. It was a very specific process. It was taking a good, hard look at something, and if it didn't bring joy into your life, thank it for what it had brought you so far, and then to let it go. And in today's conversation, you're going to hear about Jim going through that very process and how hard but important it was to do so in order to start his business with a clear perspective. Jim did so many smart, strategic things to build his audience from turning his most popular e-bombs into talks for conferences to being really intentional about the kinds of blog posts that he wrote in the first place. But Jim made some mistakes along the way. And one mistake in particular had big emotional costs in addition to financial ones. It's a mistake that Amy and I have seen countless people make, and we've even made ourselves. You're going to have to listen to the rest of this episode to see what Jim's mistake was. More importantly, how he recovered from it And most importantly, the impact that selling his product has had on his ability to achieve his ultimate goal, which is spending more time with his family. And if you're ready to hear how all that went, let's get the show started. I was uh, was just sitting here waiting as we were getting set up and somebody called me, you know, via Skype and and, uh, tried to ring me into a, a conference and... I just had to quickly type back. I was like, hey, sorry, I'm talking to Alex Hillman, you know, in a few minutes. And their only response was just JFDI. <laughs> that's, so, that's great. Well, uh, you have a legacy. The folks know. The folks know. That's right. Cool. Uh, well, I'm really, really excited to be able to have a quick conversation with you. Uh, you and I have known each other for a bunch of years through 30 by 500 and the alumni group, and I've gotten to watch uh, you build a product o- sort of over a long period of time. And that's one of the things that I want to get into the meat of uh, in, in today's conversation and you know what why it took so long, what you think that gave you in terms of uh, capabilities, what, what disadvantages and things like that. But before we get into any of that, Jim, Jim Gay, how do you introduce yourself at parties? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. It's funny because um, uh, I, I, I didn't come at this as an expert. Like I, I don't have like a significant computer science background. And like, you know, I wrote a technical book and I sort of had this feeling that like maybe it didn't quite belong. So when it comes to like talking to people about what I do, in fact, just the other night, somebody asked me, you know, who really, who are you trying to become in the Ruby community? And I don't really know the answer, but I, the things that I care about have to do with not having to think when I, when I don't really need to and being able to feel comfortable that I can work well with others. So when I think about the, the code that I write or that other people write or what we can do, that's really the goal of, of what my product is. So if, if I could sum it up, I think I would say I help Ruby developers become better. I also like the fact that it's not just better for their own sake. It's better for for their teammates. Uh, yeah. 
I don't, I don't know if, if you and I have had a chance to talk about it uh, one-on-one, but a big part of my personal motivation for basically everything I work on, uh, including 30 by 500 and Indie Hall, is working with other people. You know, I, I don't really do a lot of solo projects on purpose. Right. But in particular, I do things, and I do them very intentionally in a way where it helps not just me, but the people that I'm working with be sort of like the best version of themselves. So it sounds like that's a big – that's like the – uh, the goal in a way of your work and, and of this product. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, no matter what you do, you're going to end up working with other people. In fact, most of the time when I talk to developers who are going solo, they lament the fact that it's very difficult for them to get feedback from someone else. So the, just having someone else uh, is really a, a very valuable thing. Yeah. So uh, did you... Do you remember what motivated you to start getting into into products in the first place? Because you can work with other people in all kinds of ways. Why why did you get into doing uh, a product? You know, I I, I don't know. Looking back, uh, it was probably um, wanting some stability. Uh, I at the time when uh, I guess I started looking into thirty by five hundred um, and and thinking about building products. Some people were coming out with ebooks, and and you know, I don't think I really understood how much money they were making or if they were really making that much. But I just saw like, wow, they're they're doing something that helps support them, um, making a good product that's useful to other people, but it helps support them financially, and uh, they're not trading their time for it. Um, in other words, you know, I don't work an hour and I get paid for the hour, but like if I make a product, then the product continues to sell even though I'm sleeping at night. Um, but I have now I have four children, but at the time I think I, I had maybe just, we had just had our third and I sacrificed a lot of my sleep and general health and well being so that I could work more and provide for my family. Um, when we had our third child, my wife decided, um, you know, like this going back and forth between work and home is kind of too much. Let's, you know, I'll stay home and it'll be your job to try to bring in the money and my job to try to run the house. And, and that's worked really well, but it also stressed me out to no end. So I wanted something that would give me stability that, um, I wouldn't trade like, well, I better stay up till 2am tonight working on a side project while my, you know, like I have my daily client and then I have the additional stuff in the evening that will help make me money. And it was just, Burning the candle at both ends, and you really can't win doing that. Right, and so introducing a product into the repertoire, both you know, that that can the result is stability, but you also had to fit it in somewhere. Um, had you tried to do to build and launch a product before doing doing Clean Ruby? Um, I hadn't. Well, actually, no, I I had, and I, I guess the reason I say I hadn't is because none of them were successful. Aha, um, aha. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but like I would look at, so I was doing a lot of development in an open source content management system. I loved working on it. Um, and at the time I had clients who used it. Uh, so I thought, Oh, like I'll, I'll host that, you know, I'll make a custom solution. And, and it was a solution in search of a problem. And I didn't have I didn't have an audience. I didn't have people waiting. I didn't have, you know, pain points that I knew I was absolutely killing and that people would pay me for. Like, everybody needs content management, but that was not good enough. You know, it wasn't like someone was going to decide to come to me just because they need it. They're going to look at a bunch of different things and 
find something cheaper and easier or faster or whatever. And I was like, I, I just did not have a clear picture of what I should do to help people. Um, and then once I got that clear picture, uh, then Cl- Clean Ruby came out of it. You know, I had tried a couple of different things, um, testing the waters to, to see what people were interested in that never turned into products. But this one, I think, really hit the nail on the head. It was, uh, it, it, it was me writing about an idea and about code that could really help people, and they were eager to get the information. So that's what I didn't have. I had no eager audience before. Uh, that's a really, really good distinction. And, you know, I was talking to actually uh, a couple of folks that I work with here at, um, at Indie Hall yesterday, I think it was. Uh, and they – it's sort of a similar description to what you uh, had just laid out. You were working on this open source product. There were people that used it and sort of the assumption that, well, if people use it, then obviously if I make it easier for them to use it, they'll be ready to pay. Um, right. And there's a bunch of sort of uh, – hidden steps in between there because uh, they had sort of the traditional were a consultancy we build stuff for people and there's people just like them that would probably buy it so if we make this easier to sort of spin up new instances that we'll just make it a product sort of productizing something that we're already doing for other people and they learned i think the same lesson you did and that just building it doesn't assume that there are people there ready and waiting to pay. Um, even even the people that you already know theoretically want it, they aren't. They're not ready for right. the, for this from you. So, I'm curious what it is that you changed about your approach. You, you touched on a couple of things, but I'd love to get really uh, specific if you can about your approach with Clean Ruby that was was different. How, you mentioned that you had a couple of pains that you knew that you were going after and that they definitely wanted, they would definitely pay for. Pay for. How, did you, how did you determine that? How did you distill all that information out? Well, uh, I'll take a step back. Um, when I joined 30 by 500, I already had this product and I was actually hosting a couple of clients. But they came to me for one thing and I, it was like, the hosting was just an add-on. They didn't come to me for that. So, like, that I did not see. But I thought, I'll join 30 by 500, and then I'll really learn how to market this thing, and I will turn it into, you know, a moneymaker. And the first thing that I learned was I was going about it entirely wrong, and I needed to just kiss that idea goodbye and throw it in the trash, which was hard to accept, but was ultimately the absolute best thing Um if you could, so, what what was I mean? We say that like letting things go is hard. What was it? What was going through your head? Again, as specific as you can be, about like why is that actually a difficult thing to go through? Well, because I thought I had the problem solved. Right, I had I had a product, um, and just having a product was not enough to be a success. Um, what I didn't have was a clear understanding, and I thought that I would just learn how to market something. But what I ended up learning was how to better understand people, right? Um, and what I, what I, you know, there, there are definitely things that I love about that project that I had that solved pains for people, but didn't solve them in a way that they were ready to jump and just say, I, I'm going to pay for that. I need that. Um, so I cleaned the slate and I just started looking around at what else do people have trouble with or what am I having trouble with and, and can I see what that is? And um, the difference is I sunk a lot of time 
into this open source work, which I love doing. And, you know, I had clients who had paid me to help them get set up on it. And so I thought, like, this was a path. I've clearly put a lot of time in. There are, there are companies who are paying for this, so I can turn it into a product. And thinking that all that time or years of work that I had put into um, either paid consulting work or my free time on the weekends um, adding you know, features and fixing bugs and things was now a giant waste. And you can kind of look back on what you've done and think, like, how horrible. I have, I have just made a waste of my life. And you, you sort of think like you're in a hole. So this is like the, the sunk cost problem, right? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not like that at all because in reality, you are just at square one. You believe that you're on top of a mountain and you just need to next, take the next step and that you'll like, achieve success. But you're not in a hole. You're just starting from a better, clearer perspective. And um, that was good because the, the weight of thinking that you are farther beyond where you actually are uh, is just totally removed. Yeah, um, and, and like you said, it's sort of made up in the first place. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's it's totally a figment of your imagination. So, so it's not that it's not that you're behind. It's that you are exactly where you are. Right. <laughs> so embrace that. Yeah. No. That that's really that's really awesome. So uh, where where did where did you go from there? So uh, you know, <coughs> a lot of what we learned in thirty by five hundred was to just go and observe. Um, just watch, see what people are doing in in the community that that you know and find out what's going on um and that's really easy to do and i think a lot of people don't realize that you just kind of immerse yourself in in the community and realize what are people talking about what's important to them um so at the same time i was learning that i was learning about this concept in object-oriented programming called dci right it was totally new and nobody was really talking about it. i would find a few blog posts i don't even remember exactly how i came across it but the goals of it were the same ultimately the goals were you know you want to reduce confusion in your team you want to be able to increase the value of the communication that you have in your code and I needed those goals. I was working during the day on a project where there was uh, fast and drastic changes over time, a lot of churn on the project. The client was you know, deciding it would need to do the, work this way in one sprint. The next sprint, they would say, actually, we need to undo that and do this. And so I looked at this concept and I said, this is awesome. I really need this. And I would spend a bunch of time researching it for my own need. But then I looked around and I thought, nobody's talking about this. How can I do any research to see who cares? And um, while the goals are shared for what my book talks about, um, the strategies were sort of unknown. Uh, So what I ended up doing was just blogging about it. Um, You know, in the Ruby community, people read blog posts. They're eager for information. They're eager for new paradigms, new ideas, or even eager for old ideas and just being, you know, a rehash of like, hey, let's let's not forget these old good ideas. And so writing a blog and getting attention for this new idea wasn't too difficult because they they eat it up and and so do I. Like I'm always eager to read new things and, and think new thoughts and, and find ways to make my uh development life and team better. Um and 
I wrote this blog post and at the last second I realized like I'm in this 30 by 500 class. They're telling me to do research. I'm writing this blog post about something that I really care about that I think will be really valuable. I should put an email sign-up form on there. And so literally at the last minute I was about to hit publish. I was like, all right, well, let me just hook this up. And um, and it takes no time, right? I, I had a campaign monitor account, and I was like, all right, I'll just hook this up. They give you a little snippet of HTML for a sign-up form. And I just dropped it in there, and I posted it to, I don't know, one or two forums or something. I was just like, here's this blog post, right? And within, I don't know, an hour or two, I had 12 emails in my list, and I was flabbergasted because you could comment on my blog, but people rarely commented. And so I thought that comments meant that people cared. But then here I have this new way of seeing that people actually want more information. They just give you their email address. And I was like, wow. holy cow. It was, it was mind-boggling. And so just like having those 12 was a major step forward in, in seeing that like, wow, there are people who have opted in, who have said, please notify me about more information like this. So this is for the uninitiated. This is the process that we call e-bombs or educational bombs. It's right. uh, you know, this is content marketing, but we've taken an even more narrow approach in terms of giving people, uh, like you said, advice, actionable advice, stuff that they can use right now. And when people want it right now, then they say, "Give me more!" Right? right. <laughs> as soon as they get a win from it, they they want more. Pretty so much. you you got to see that, and and it's so funny when we. Uh, working with students, uh, even today, they go through the exact same sort of emotional state. They don't actually, I think, believe that anybody would want more of their stuff, um, and <laughs> which is which is uh, you know it's a funny place to be. I think until you get that result yourself, the first person who gives you their email address and says this was helpful enough that I want more completely shifts your perspective. Um, I'm curious. Along the way, because I'm sure that you have shipped more than one e-bomb since that first one. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Uh, any idea how many you've shipped since that one? Ballpark? Um, I don't know. Maybe, honestly, maybe only, well, so th- there's more to it, actually, before I answer that question. Okay, that's fair. There's, um, so, you know, I was collecting emails, and so I'd send things out in a newsletter, and then I would have blog posts uh, but then I would also do presentations at conferences. So there's multiple ways to educate people and show them new ideas that they can take action on. So I've probably got, I don't know, a dozen blog posts, and they were all probably newsletters as well. And then I have a couple other newsletters that were not blog posts. And then there's, you know, a handful of presentations that I've done. So, sure. So you're, so you're shopping a lot of this material. Once somebody says this is useful, bringing that in front of other people, you know, they, if it's new for them, you don't right. have to update it uh, right. a whole lot. Maybe maybe adjust it for context. That's that's really cool. Were there anything, uh, any uh, of those dozen or so concepts, did you learn anything about which e-bomb seemed to get you the best response or the most signups, the most results? Was there something specific or, or noticeable about the ones that seemed to perform the best? Um, you know, I think I'm still figuring that out. Uh, there were some that I would do that had a lot to do with the words that we use in, you know, the programming community where I would kind of, um, kind of do it in a tongue in cheek way and, you know, poke my finger in their eye and say, Hey, there's something here that's important that you don't understand. And I'm going to explain it to you. And so for the most part, there are some people who are very vocal who don't like that type of attitude in, um, 
you know, in, a, in an article or in, in an e-bomb. Um, and there are others who recognize that, okay, he's trying to get my attention so that I, I realize that there's something important here. Yeah. Um, so that type of thing, you know, like I posted on Hacker News and it would blow up and people would tell me I was totally wrong or, you know, comment on my blog and tell me I was wrong or that I was right or thank you for just, you know, explaining this to me. So it was all over the board. And that type of thing um, gets a lot of attention. And I think it, I honestly don't remember. I think it led to a good number of signups, but I also didn't want to make myself the curmudgeon who was telling everybody they're wrong about everything. So I would switch, you know, from that type of stuff, like here's, you know, here's something you really need to understand and you probably don't, um, to here's some tools that you can take away and like go and try this in your code, do this exact thing. Um, And I found that, the ones where I sort of tried to be a little controversial might have an initial spike where everybody's talking about it. But if I could churn out little bits of content over a, a period of time, then people t- paid attention more and um, I think liked it more. So there were, there were two different ways. You know, one where you get, try to get a spike of traffic and have people listen to you. And then another where it's the slow growth of people beginning to trust that what you're talking about is important or that they can, you know, expect good things from you. So it's it's sort of a it's a combo move in a lot of ways to get the best results. It sounds like one without the other is not nearly as good as the two working together. I think so. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. So uh, you're building this audience, you're building this list. Uh, and had you already started working on a product or are you just sort of getting more connected to the audience? Uh, definitely just getting more connected. And in fact, my biggest fear was at the time, you know, like here I have, I remember it got up to like 170 emails and I was just totally blown away by that. And if I could only get to 200, how amazing that would be. Um, and I, I realized I have these emails. Now I have to start sending, (laughs) sending content out to people. (laughs) Um, which is a lot of pressure because you think that everything you say has to be, uh, an expert opinion and um, I don't know, I learned over time and through 30 by 500 that the people who are already experts often like to be validated um, or they like to know that there's someone else out there teaching good ideas. So it took me a while, but I realized that I can teach about things that are common to some that may be unknown to others and I'm not going to be shouted down. Like People will actually be glad for that type of information. If there's a concept that's 20 years old and I come around and say, hey, don't forget this concept, this is important, you can use it, um, that's a good thing. It's not considered old hat. So uh, there's always people who are eager to learn something new or be reminded. Um, and I've, I've had people thank me for writing for about something or say I totally forgot about this or I had never heard of this. So I've seen, you know, every aspect in, in my audience have a, have a response like that. There's a really awesome essay, one of my favorite essays, like maybe one of my top 10 favorite essays um, by Derek Sivers. Uh, it's sivers.org slash obvious. And it, the, the title is Obvious to You, Obvious to Nobody. And it's exactly what you just described. It's the thing that you think everybody knows this. And until you put it out there and realize that people go, oh, this is so useful, whether they never heard of it before or they'd completely forgotten about it. There's a ton of value in, in bringing that to 
too light for people who who need it at that time. So um, you can go uh, for those listening can, can go check that article out. It's really really good. Yeah, there's there's one lesson though that I would say that I think I would guess everybody goes through in that there are going to be some people who are unhappy. Um, and early on, if somebody said something negative, you know, it would take me like three days to get over this depression of like, oh gosh, I can't believe it. They hate me. Um, the work I'm doing is crap. Um, but as I have continued to just talk about what I think are good ideas um, and show examples of things that people can use, I've found, uh, like recently, I wrote a newsletter that I sent out to, you know, over 3,000 people. And one person wrote back, uh, or no, I think he mentioned it on Twitter. So I, I found him, like I lurked around to see who was talking about it. And he said, you know, what is this uh, 101 crap that's in my inbox from somebody named Jim Gay? And he, he you know, he was frustrated. And he wrote back to me from the email and said, why are you sending this to me? Even though at the top of the email it says, hey, uh, you know, the reason you're getting this is because you either bought my book or signed up for my newsletter. Um, and at the time when that happened, I was okay with it. But like early on when I only had the 12 or the 200, you know, I was very, very worried about it. But even though being in 30 by 500, I would get the advice that like, listen, people will come and go and that's okay. You might have people join your list and leave and come back. Um, it doesn't mean anything negative about what you're doing, though you might learn from. It. I mean, if if everybody leaves, then maybe you're doing something wrong. Right, but, but it's entirely possible that this guy was just having a bad day. Like, yes. you know, his his toast got burnt and got stuck in traffic, and and he just that was the most recent thing that annoyed him, and he decided to vent on you. So exactly uh, those sorts of things don't ne- they're not necessarily indicators. Single single interactions are indicators of essentially nothing until nothing. there's further evidence. Right. Uh, you definitely don't see it that way when you're starting. Without you know? a doubt, without a doubt. Um, but it's yeah, and I would get that advice from everybody who had been there, like, oh yeah, no big deal. And I was like, what? No, this person hated it, and uh, and it's okay. It really is. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So where did you make the shift from uh, building this list? Um, you said up to three thousand people today. That's awesome. Uh, where did you make the shift from audience building towards figuring out that you're going to build a product and what to build? Uh, so I wrote, I think maybe three e-bombs and after the first one where I got, you know, just a handful of, of emails, I thought, okay, maybe this will actually be the product that I'll build. Um, I wrote two more and I started gaining more traction in terms of what I was talking about. And I, you know, I got more and more emails. Um, and even though I had this vision of like, I'm going to need thousands of emails, I knew that if I just worked with the 200 or 250 or whatever it was that I had, that I needed to just do it. I couldn't build a mansion off of my first attempt. You know, I had to try building my little hut and seeing how it went. Um, so I think after the third e-bomb that I posted, I had probably already started working on maybe some essays that I was going to compile into a book. Um, so that, I don't know, that I had big visions of what I was going to do. And I think, you know, I have advice for people out there as well, but I think I bit off more than I could chew when I decided to do what I was, I was going to do. 
So when when what was the the actual when you said you sort of went from okay writing essays about a topic was the, how did those things sort of start to wire together in your head? How, what you said you got a, a sort of a clue that maybe this would be the product. What made you think that? Uh, people just kept talking about the topic that I was talking about. So uh, there's there's. Uh, one other developer who had written about it who before I ever had, and I don't know how much traction he had got on his blog about it, um, but uh, I started talking more about it. And very quickly, for this concept called DCI, very quickly I became the DCI guy. Like I was, I was uh, typecast. And without my knowledge, really, I would go to a conference and somehow my name would come up or I'd introduce myself and they'd say, oh, the DCI guy. So right off the bat, I knew that there was a captive audience or there was an interested audience who already un- understood something about what I was talking about. And, and I could you know, move forward with um, teaching more. Cool. And you started making, in addition to like compiling essays, you actually uh, started with a pre-sale, right? I did. So I... Um, Actually, the only reason I started with a pre-sale was because somebody on Twitter who I didn't know kept asking me, when when can I get this? And I kept just putting <laughs> sh- it off. The shut up and take my money. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's the best. Um, I, I kept putting it off thinking like, oh, this is probably the only person who uh, wants the book. I'm I'm not going to you know upend my life so that I can get it out for this one person. Um, but I kept putting them off and it kept bugging me about it and I said okay well how about March and I think it was March of 2012 and so when I said that I think it was either January or February and so March 1st came around and I said to myself thank god I didn't say March 1st you know I still have a month to get it out because <laughs> um, I had a lot to do and I was nervous about putting out a product that would somehow turn people off um in, in in the fact that you had established yourself as the DCI guy and the last thing, sort of what you were saying before about the sunk cost, uh, you don't want to lose whatever it is that you've somehow built, right? Right, yeah. right. And I, I don't want to put out something that like the initial people who buy it are going to say, oh, what a waste of money that was. There was a big fear in that. But I think part of the reason I was that fearful is because I hadn't yet honed in on providing actionable content. And the topic that I attempted to write about was very challenging to write about um, and and understand. You know, it took me. I would read academic papers about it, and I would read them ten times each, just so I could get it in my head. And and there's value in doing that and trying to distill a problem down so that other people can understand it. And yeah, I think yeah. I've I've successfully done that, but it was very difficult. And so I thought, if I can't explain it to you succinctly, then how is my beta version going to you know? going to succeed but so anyway i march 31st comes around and you know it was like the night before and i was like well can i have we, what can i we have sing a, a, a like it was the night before <laughs> launch day we should probably do one of those at some we point should. <laughs> <laughs> and you know i was up late of course because i know the next day is really my last day to launch this thing and i've got to work and so it's got to happen in the morning and i can't you know i'm not going to do it during the day um so I uh, I threw together what I had. I tried to fill in content where I need, knew there were places to fill it in. And my writing style is probably not a good writing style in that 
I think through things uh, in an unorganized manner. And so I, I had like a bunch of different things and I had to fit them together. And I remembered that I was talking about a big concept that really required an introductory chapter on what that concept was and I didn't have it. And so I quickly threw together concept. I did some research. I had to actually find some books and read some things and make sure that I, you know, had quotes and uh, quotes and terminology correct before I put it in. So it was a late night, but I got my beta out, and um, to my incredible surprise, people on Twitter, the Ruby community is very active on Twitter, blew up, and and they were all super excited that it was finally released and they would use the word finally as if there was this pent-up desire for my product and that's, uh, that's the sound of credit cards being taken <laughs> out of people's wallets and thwack right against their screen <laughs> exactly. literally throwing money at you through their computers <laughs> yeah and you know the next day i don't even remember what project i was on when i launched it but i was useless at work the next day because i was so excited about the attention that it was getting and i was seeing those credit card notifications coming in via email and i was just floored um but you know the whole formula of figuring out how to find out what people really need and want and how you can actually help them and give them things that they can you know better themselves it worked. And so people were really eager for the topic that I was talking about. And, um, you know, those that, that first month, I think I made $4,000 and that first month was one day. And so it was just crazy. So the next month, you know, it was another uh, month like that where it started to trickle off, but still I was just on a total high that, that the work that I had done, having not been an expert, um, you know, just just a person who did research and tried to whittle down a massive thing into an understandable bit um, that that was you know I was able to succeed that way so this wasn't exactly a pre-sale in a traditional sense because when you when you got those first uh, those first sales there was a thing to read it was uh, knowingly incomplete you had a lot more work that you wanted to do with it but it was it was usable you, yeah. I think you referred to it as like a, as a beta product versus a pre like a pre-sale so to speak right. is that right yeah so it wasn't um, you know it wasn't like hey buy it at this price and then when it comes out you'll get it it was here it is in its current form um, I will be updating it but you can get it at this discounted rate right now sure so how how did things evolve from there? You, you said you the second month. So you, were you like doing monthly updates or something else? Um, I was doing updates as quickly as I could, which <laughs> um, you know, with a bunch of little kids and a uh, daytime job to worry about, was was really difficult. Um, in fact, uh, at first I, I kept up, I think, a decent pace. I don't even remember what the dates are. I have a, a file where I tracked my changes and releases. Um, but uh, I kept it going. And then, you know, all kinds of things happened in life that really killed my productivity. And I, uh, I sort of went into a hole and stopped developing, stopped talking about the concepts and e-bombs. Um, and it was this weight that was hanging over my head. And, you know, friends would constantly ask. <laughs> I, I would see them and they wouldn't say hi. It would be like, hey, is the book done yet? Um, Ouch. So that... Yeah, that was that was difficult. And I think really it was because I chose a topic that required a significant amount of research. I've been digging up 
um, academic papers that are 20 or 30 years old and trying to understand concepts properly so that I could write a really good advanced resource. Um, and that was really hard as a first product, um, especially with this pre-sale or beta launch where people had already paid me. You know, I So I was under the gun, like I have to complete this. Um, and in fact, just like there's always one person who complains, there was one person who said, hey, I want my money back. I don't think you're ever going to finish this thing. And that was like, uh, you know, a shot straight through yeah, the heart. Yeah, brutal. <laughs> and well, I'm, I want to just like grab onto one word that you said. You referred to it as an advanced resource, which I think is, you know, you set, you set your own difficulty level early on saying this needs to be an advanced resource. Was that your decision? Is that a decision you would have made a second time if you were to rewind the clock and, and do it all over? It was my decision and it was a foolish decision to kind of shoot for the stars and really provide a, a font of knowledge for people, which I still could have done had I just uh, shrunk the target you know, a little bit more. Right. Um, you, you set the expectations in a certain place and then, oh my God, we got to fill, fill that box. Right, exactly. And so, I mean, it's sometimes good to reach for something that's difficult, but... Sure. Uh, not in this case. I would not recommend it. Um, it would have been way easier. In fact, uh, I remember Brennan Dunn. He had uh, you know done PlanScope, and then his second product was his his uh, W freelancing rate. And when he announced it, he said, "This is going to be thirty pages." And I saw that. I had already you know pre-launched, and I saw that, and I I thought, "Why did I not do that? Why didn't I just pick something that's like, here's the most concise guide to X." And just solve a problem for people, you know, as quickly and briefly as possible. Because ultimately, if I'm going to buy a technical book or, or a product for anything, I don't want to spend time reading a lot. I want to spend time just understanding and moving on to my actual problems. So right. um, in terms of, you know, what would I do differently, I would definitely find a smaller thing. And I would say I'm not going to go beyond this length or this um, range of a topic. Uh, so yeah, I definitely chose to do something that was difficult and I, um, I sort of, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy that it was difficult for me to do. Well, and it's, it's an easy, easy, easy mistake to make. Uh, yes, we see it. I'm sure you've seen it in in other friends and alumni. Amy and I have made this mistake before, um, numerous times. Uh, and most recently sort of reteaching ourselves in a way, um, through launching just fucking ship, uh, and, and doing that 24 hour hour challenge, uh, with, with Nathan, Mm -hmm. uh, sort of forcing ourselves. No, you're not, this isn't allowed to be any bigger than that actually became sort of a liberation, like you were saying. It says, okay, well, if it can only be this big, let's make sure the things that are in it are really good. Right. Um, and and we can't go any bigger than that. Um, of course, you, you, you can. There's no actual law that says you're not allowed to, but the constraint helps a ton. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I already have ideas for uh, areas that I still need to research, but, but my follow-on products, and they are way smaller and way more targeted um, and I think it'll be far easier for me to implement um, this next time around. Sure. So th- for those playing along at home, you had said the date of the sort of that pre-launch, uh, uh, beta launch, if you will, was March 31st of 2012. Uh, it is now very close to approaching the end of 2014. 
So that's that's two years of building. That's that sort of that stressful time that you were talking about before. But the good news is, is you launched version one. What was that uh, uh, two weeks ago? Uh, I think it was two weeks ago. Two weeks yeah. ago, the first complete version. Um, I want to hear about what that launch, like how you actually executed the launch, uh, and, and what results you got. So I had uh, watched uh, how other people had done their launches, and um, I wanted to make sure that I at least kind of revved up the audience for the fact that the book was going to be done. And I wanted to you have them ready. Like it, for the people who had not purchased, now's the time to purchase. And th- there, are, there are definitely people who wait. You know, they, they are interested in the book, but they're going to wait until you're done either because they don't want to read an unfinished text or they don't want to read it and then get a new update and have to read it again and, you know, continue on with you. Um, <clears throat> so when I was planning to finish it, I, I had actually had it done for a while, but I wanted to make sure the formatting was correct. And then I wanted to make sure that my uh, email launch sequence was ready to go. And there really wasn't anything... Uh, any significant planning or scientific research behind you know what I should do when I launched, but it was just the fact that I needed to send out some e bombs and get my newsletter going again i had I had been writing on it and it became popular and people loved it and then I took time off and that time that I took off ended up being an entire year and so i you know i didn 't write to people and they may have forgotten about me uh, for a very long time, so I started writing articles for my newsletter and for my blog so that people just remember who I was, remember about the product, learn some new things. And then I would finally say, this is, you know, the book's out, it's ready. And so I kind of picked a date and I said, all right, that's when I'm going to do it. And working back from that date, if I send this email this day and the week before I send that email, um, I figured out uh, that you know, uh, I, I don't know how many it was, four or five emails before I finally, you know, hit the trigger to launch it um, would be enough for people to remember who I was. But what I did was uh, I sent out newsletters to everybody. So whether or not you bought the book or, or didn't, everybody got that same, you know, useful content, the e-bombs. Um, but then the weekend that I was launching it, I told people um, the price is going up on Monday. Clean Ruby 1.0 is out. It's ready and available. Uh, and everybody in my newsletter, I sent them uh, a coupon code to get a quarter of the price off. And I said, look, you can use this coupon. The price at the time was $42. And I said, on Monday, it's going up to $49. And uh, so people jumped on it. They used it. That was a, an incredible weekend for me. I think it was... Uh, Saturday or maybe Friday, I sent that out. And Saturday and Sunday were big days. Um, and what I did was I marked everybody who had purchased in my newsletter uh, list uh, as you know purchasers or customers already. And so on Monday morning, I sent out a reminder to all the people who had not purchased. purchased and I said, look, today's the last day. You have until the end of the day to make a purchase and use this coupon code. It's going up to $49. And then throughout the day, I would mark anybody who had purchased as a customer. And then, I don't know, uh, I'm on the East Coast in the U.S., and it was probably around 3 o'clock in the afternoon here when I sent another reminder to anybody who had not purchased. It's going up. You you should buy it. And I had seen uh, Amy, 
I think do this for maybe the bacon biz conf um, and realize that the people who are interested might see that initial email and get distracted and forget. And like my initial thought was, oh, well, if you send too many emails, they're going to be annoyed. But if they are on your list to get whatever your product is and your product price is going up, they will be thankful that you reminded them to go and make the purchase at whatever price they can get it at. So um, Monday was by far my biggest day. Um, I don't remember how much I made, but my previous record for a month was $6,000. And I thought that was going to be a, you know an insurmountable thing to get over. And just in that launch weekend, I made $10,000 on, on the sale. So I, I reminded people I was there and there was the pent up desire for the book and the people who forgot to buy it when I reminded them on Friday got reminders on Monday, and um, it was really fantastic. That's awesome. So a $10,000 launch weekend. Oh, that's close to double what you thought was an insurmountable previous record. Absolutely. That's yeah. really cool. And uh, so where does that put you at total lifetime? Because in like two, almost two and a half years uh, since the, the beta release, uh, how, how have you done? It's uh, right now at about $62,000. And that's all that's, – uh, that's busy dad. Busy dad. Holy crap, busy dad. <laughs> yeah. uh, side work money. That's, um, and most importantly, something you can relaunch and, and keep building. That was just two weeks ago. You could do, a, you could do that again in, in, in 30 days and, and potentially you know, to the new audience that you're adding via more e-bombs. Keep going. Exactly. That's my plan. And you know what? I, if, if you look at the way I've done it, you could say, well – he did it wrong. He didn't offer levels. You know, if you see a lot of people who sell products like mine, there's an ebook, and then there's the ebook plus a couple of extra things, and then there's the ebook plus a couple extra things and some videos, and maybe like a, a one-on-one session with you or something like that. And I didn't do that, and I knew that I would probably my launch would probably be better had I done that. But I just needed to do it. I just had to get that thing out there. Right. And so I did that, but. Um, Having gone to Bacon Biz Conf and hearing about other products similar to mine and how their launches were done and redone and redone, I realized I'm not finished when I launch this thing. I can continue adding content to it and to packages. And so I'm absolutely going to relaunch the book and provide other things for, for you know, be- better resources that if they want the, the bigger package, then they can do that. That's so great, dude. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so as we're wrapping up, uh, you've touched on a couple of things along the way, the difficulties and, and worries, concerns, fears. If you had to think about one thing that you struggle with the most today or maybe looking forward, the thing that you, you know, you're you most hung up on or you're most concerned about, um, you, know, you sounded like you've gotten over a bunch of the things in the past. What's the thing that you think you struggle with the most today? Um, I think focus. Uh because now that I've done this, I can see the need uh, that people have for different things. And so I, I have these visions of all these potential products that I could go and do research for. And I really just have to pick one, time box myself to it, and find like the best solution for this particular problem and put it out there. So you know, I've been doing research all along. As I would see the need in, in the audience that I have, I would take notes and I would record, you know, blog posts that were popular and things like that. And I would, um, so I have all these resources for potential products, but now I have to just pick one and make it that one. Um, and I also have to make sure that it fits within my current audience. Like I'm not going to pick a, 
a completely different audience and, sure. and try to gear towards them. But I think that's it. Just focus. And that, that might've been my initial problem as well. Like finding that right product. Um, I didn't fully understand what I saw in the audience that I had. So I want to tie back to one of the, the questions at the beginning about why you got into product in the first place. Uh, and it sounded like you had some specific goals around stability and, uh, you know, easier time juggling family and work and all those things. And so far, this at this juncture in your journey, how does having Clean Ruby for sale and launched and version one out there in the world, how does that impact your life? Uh, and that's your personal life, your work life, however you see that. What is the impact of having a product business uh, in, in the universe that is yours? Well, firstly, it's a relief to have it done. But other than that, I feel like I have a lot more power over my future than I did before. Because when I was just a freelancer, just a consultant, I was dependent upon someone else paying me a lot of money to do one thing. But now I I realize that I can solve problems for many people at once and they can individually pay me and pay me over time. And so if I need to um, come up with more money, I can solve problems for many people um, so there's that, you know, I, I feel more at ease, even though, you know, I, my family will have financial trouble just like everyone else does. Things come up in life and you need to, you know, somehow eat into your, uh, savings and do certain things. Uh, and that happens, but I, I'm less worried about what's going to happen to my family, whether or not I can support them because I've gone through this process and, and taken charge of it. Um, but then also, Actually, finding consulting work, which I'm slowly getting away from, um, was way easier because people knew that I knew a topic very well. I, I would write about it in in e-bombs that were available anywhere, and I have a a book that you could buy to find out more about my thinking and how I can help your development team. So people looked to me for advice, whereas before I was just another hand, another hired hand. Um, so it definitely changed perceptions on what people could use me to do and how they could improve their businesses by hiring me. So I've gotten into doing uh, training now and uh, architectural thinking instead of just uh, doing lower level things with code. Here, go implement this feature. Um, so my uh, value to my clients is way higher now and they're willing to uh, work with my schedule. You know, I... I uh, when you are a lower level freelancer, they expect you to be in doing the work. And if you are, you know, elevated yourself to a consultant who really knows his stuff, um, it's much easier to say, listen, I'm not going to be in this day. I'm going to, I don't know, uh, a school pageant or something like that. Yeah, whatever, or Whatever it is, your, your, your value, your value to them is you're, you're no longer a commodity. Right. Uh, they see how you fit into their world. Um, I, I think that brings us to a really great closing question. Uh, some some people find this one to be a little bit tougher, but who's the first person that comes to mind for you when you hear the word successful? Huh. I told you it was a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> that is. Um, gosh, I don't know, because I think my notion of successful has changed over time in that... Um, I used to think about it in terms of career and maybe finances, and now I think about it in terms of my family and how much time I can spend with them. Um, 
That's actually a more useful answer than you might think. Um, no, that's that's really great. And I mean, part of the reason I like asking that question is that the, the who is not really what we're looking for. It's sort of what are the, what are the values behind it and why. And I think if you're if you've got the ability to jump to that without actually having to think of a very particular person, uh, I think people still get a lot of value out of seeing that perspective, that shift uh, for you, uh, and one that they can sort of see for themselves. So that's that's actually really great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's wrap up today. Uh, where can people find out more about you and your book? Well, they can definitely go to clean-ruby.com. Um, and uh, I'm Saturn Flyer on Twitter. Uh, my website is SaturnFlyer.com. But uh, I've got probably, I guess, Saturn Flyer is a place where I've got a lot of blog posts and, and newsletter articles posted there. Clean Ruby. Dot com is where you can sign up for my newsletter and get stuff for free and uh, and potentially coupon codes in the future. But uh, but definitely go and check out my book and I'd love to have feedback. I always love to hear people's thoughts. It gets them thinking about new new things, either be it building a product themselves or the code that's there and they'll write and say, hey, I have this problem. This really helped me think through it. So check it out. That's awesome. Thanks, Jim. And I hope you have a great rest of your day and your weekend. Thank you. You too. All right. Take care, man. Yeah. I love conversations like this one because it is just so satisfying to be able to spend time with our alumni who are doing the work, getting what they really want. In Jim's case, that's power over his future and the control to spend time with his family the way he wants, when he wants, where he wants. And really, there's just no better feeling for Amy and I than cheering on students like that. We're so thankful that Jim was willing to come on the show and be so candid and share in this episode with you guys. Soon, there's a whole mess of new things that I'm excited to share with you. That's more interviews with successful alumni, a lot like this interview with Jim, a couple more live coaching sessions like the one with Amanda from last week, and a whole lot more. Now, you heard Jim talk a lot about 30 by 500 and we're actually gearing up to launch the newest version. Amy and I have been working really hard on and we're super, super, super excited about. It's the best version of the class we've ever shipped. But what exactly is it besides being impossibly hard to say out loud? 30 by 500 is a course that Amy and I created to help people build and ship their first product and their second product and their third product, hence stacking the bricks. A lot of our students started out a lot like Jim, as freelancers or consultants. Maybe they have full-time jobs and are trying to build something on the side, but they all have something in common, and that's that they trade their time for money. And what they're trying to do is build a product so they can disconnect the amount of money they can make from the amount of time that they work. It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Well, if you read the startup tabloids and things like that, you might have gotten this idea that the only way to create a business like that is to go out and chase venture capital or seed money. And that's just not the only way you can do it. So Amy and I created 30 by 500 to teach another way. The whole idea of 30 by 500 is that by going out into the world, studying an audience, learning things about them, learning how to help them, you can build an audience. Anyone can build an audience just by helping people. And then while you're helping them, you can learn what kinds of things they'll buy, what kinds of things they'll already buy, and what kinds of things you can build that they'll buy. And then brick by brick, build your own product business. We've been teaching this course for five years to literally hundreds of students. And in the last two years, we've evolved into a two-day boot camp version that's gotten our students the best results that we've ever seen. But we're going one step further. 
We're launching a version of 30 by 500 that you don't have to apply to. We're launching a version of 30 by 500 that you don't have to schedule an entire weekend to take. We're launching a version of 30 by 500 that you can do on your own time, at your own pace. Everything we've learned from five years of teaching is going into this new product. New lessons, new examples, quite literally the best course we've ever taught. But if you listened to a few episodes ago, Amy was talking about how hard it was to launch this new product in a vacuum. We want to be able to work closer with a smaller grouping of students to see how the new material works. And that's where you come in. If you check out 30by500.com slash pioneers, you'll find out about this very special launch that we're announcing next Friday, March 6th. This is going to be a limited seating opportunity to join a one-time only version of the new 30by500 that Amy and I are going to be more involved in than we ever will again. But here's the deal. We can only send you the link if you're on our launch list. So head to that page. 30by500.com. That's 30, the letter X, 500. The number 30, the letter X, the number 500.com. See, remember what I said? This is hard to say out loud and hard to tell you what it is. 30x500.com slash pioneers. And you'll be able to read about the pioneers program. And down at the bottom, there's a place where you can put in your email address where we can let you know about when the first set of seats are available. And in fact, the first 75 seats are going to be discounted. So you really want to get on that list and looking forward to seeing you in the Pioneers program. Once again, I want to thank you for sharing some time in your day with us. Love spending time with you, and I look forward to seeing you next time on Stacking the Bricks.